Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hello, welcome to our show. And uh, this week in the show, as we promised last week, Simon Presley will be joining us. Uh, Bushy, looking forward to that. Simon always... um, puts a lot of effort, and he's certainly done it this week, into presenting his thoughts and opinions. So we get lots of really good graphics and slides to show as well, Bushy. Yeah, look, uh, Simon always puts a lot a lot of energy into what he does, and it's some really fun facts. I, I in terms of their implications, not only to what's in the past, but really good indicators to the future. So yeah. uh, this is a show not to be missed. Okay, we're going to look back over the next uh, over the last 10 years and a bit ahead too. Simon Presley joins us in just a moment. Stay with us. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. KnowHow has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Welcome back to the show. And uh, Bushy, as we said in the intro there, Simon Presley joins us. G'day, Simon. How are you doing? Hello, Kevin. Hello, Bushy. Nice to see you again, Jets. Yeah, Always good, good to you see you, Simon. You got your Lions banners up there too, mate. That's good, yeah. Best Can't time be of the year, one. gentlemen. Footy season. Yeah, the Lions are doing well. This could be the year of the Lions, I reckon, Simon. Uh, they've been very close, but they're looking very dangerous this year, mate. So, you like it too, too carried away. You don't win premierships in May, but um, <laughs> good start. <laughs> Mate, let, let's have a look firstly at the big impacts on the Australian property market over the last uh, 10 years as we bring up the first slide, which looks at Australia 2011 to 2021. What do we yeah. see here, mate? It's, um, there's so much that's happened in the last two years with uh, all the COVID restrictions and that sort of stuff. And when you look back over the last 10 years, Kevin, it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's easy to forget, isn't it? But um, yeah, we had, we started the decade with a mining boom, and then that was you know not not um, long after, followed by a mining downturn. Um, the return of strong property markets commenced with um, an introduction of foreign investors, uh, particularly from Asia, um, and our economies changed with um, international students and in our services sector, um, international tourists. Um, uh, then into the, our agriculture sector really started to take off towards the middle of the decade. Um, interest rates remained flat throughout that um, entire period of time until we got to June 2019, about six months before COVID, and the RBA just went whack, whack, whack with several cuts there. And then, of course, um, we've had the last two years of COVID. So a lot of big things have happened. We haven't mentioned umpteen natural disasters in different parts of the country um, during the decade as well. We had four prime ministers in that 10 years, it's been revolving doors. We had a GFC. We had the tightest credit conditions in the history of this country um, for about four of those 10 years. And our lives changed significantly um, when we were, couldn't shake hands and we had to tap elbows and all that sort of stuff. But the orange line 
in this graphic shows what if we bundle all of Australia's residential dwellings up into one and look what the change in value uh, did over that period of time. You can see that there, there's a little dotted line there, um, four periods there. So right at the start of the, the decade, um, property prices broadly um, were losing value. Of course, the end of the decade was um, the second biggest growth period that this country's seen. In the middle there, we had a we had two uh, fairly flat patches, um, and they were both caused by tight credit. Before we buy the asset, we must be able to purchase the liability, and APRA made it very difficult there. Um, the the columns, the um, the vertical columns there, show the makeup of our population uh, over the ten year period of time. The the blue columns first is. Uh, is the net change between births and deaths. And as uh, you can see there, it's a pretty consistent um, uh, volume every single year. Our population grows from natural births and deaths all the way through, but the green columns always have had big, the biggest contribution to Australia's population, our overseas migration. You see there's no correlation at all between the years when we had the biggest population growth and property market performance. Um, the first um, period there at the start of this graph, we see property prices went backwards but it was one of the strongest years for population growth in the last decade. And we, and we ended the last two years with the lowest population growth Australia has seen in more than 100 years due to the international border being closed. But yet we officially had the second biggest property boom in this nation's 230 years. So what a decade, gentlemen. What a decade. What's really interesting to me there, uh, Simon, is that there's a lot of talk about the cost of and access to credit uh, being big limiters in relation to property values. Now, you know, if we look at the GFC and the APRA squeezes uh, over that period of time, y yes, it's been a little bit of a handbrake, but it hasn't had a dramatic effect. Uh, uh, properties either plateaued or come back slightly, but uh, given the aggressiveness uh, of the actions that have been taken on both rates and, and macroprudential policy, it hasn't had a big impact. Yeah, well, certainly population growth has always been overstated. I'm not saying it doesn't have an influence on property prices. Of course it does. But in the overall scheme of things, it, it has a quite a minor influence on property prices. What always has the biggest influence on, on, on property values is the economic conditions at an individual town or city. So the reason that we had that decline in um, mostly in the capital city property markets at the start of this decade, because Australian economic conditions, after we wound back the, the GFC stimulus, economic conditions were very weak. Um, seven out of eight capital cities had a declining median house price in 2011, and six out of eight capital cities um, backed it up again in 2012. There weren't big, you know, crashes, um, but, you know, um, most capital cities declined. The best performing property markets in those couple of years were more mining-related communities because we were in a mining boom. But, it's, you know, that was back in the era Wayne Swan was treasurer, um, and in his um, media, um, you know, press press conferences, we were hearing the term a lot, two-speed economy. Yep. Mining was strong and just about every other sector was weak. But as we see in the middle of this chart here, then we saw the Asian century kick into force and our services sector followed by our agri-sector really uh, really picked up. Uh, what, what's uh, also interesting there, Simon, when you reflect back on it, the sort of musical chairs of our political leaders over that time, it's pretty evident that they've had no influence uh, on that, what's happening in, in property and they're, they're pretty much the icing on the cake. So uh, when we hear the current political speak in the run-up to the election about uh, what they're going to do to the wealth effect, uh, we've got to take with a fair pinch of salt. 
Yeah, probably the uh, well, not probably the. I'd say the biggest influence that they had um, was the commentary leading into both the 2016 and the 2019 federal election, um, and heavily influenced by the fact that Sydney and Melbourne had a, a big property boom in the middle of this decade. The rest of Australia didn't, but Sydney and Melbourne had had a big boom in the middle of the decade, uh, and 40% of Australia's population lived there. So the federal election commentary was, we're going to scrap. Um, negative gearing. Well, at least what one one political party was talking about scrapping that. So that directly affects sentiment. A lot of people did not track transact in real estate because of the uncertainty associated with that. Now, at the end of the day, um, the election didn't go in Labor's favour. So negative gearing. I'd say it, it wasn't changed. There was some changes to it. They significantly diluted uh, depreciation deductions. Um, but it largely stayed in place. But just the commentary and the uncertainty around it um, did diminish buyer behaviour. We're going to take a break just now. We'll come back. Simon Presley is our guest from Propertyology. We're going to have a look at uh, real estate demand. Uh, we're still going to have a look at uh, some of the key areas around Australia and what's happened with prices. Stay with us. This is Real Estate Talk. Our guest is Simon Presley and Bushy Martin and I back in just a moment. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Welcome back. Our guest is Simon Presley from Propertyology. Bushy and I talking to Simon about what's happened over the last decade. Um, let's bring up our next slide, I think, which is relevant now, Simon, and this, this talks about real estate demand. Yeah, so um, we added... Uh, we started the decade with 9 million residential dwellings in this huge country of ours, and we ended the decade with an extra 1.7 million dwellings. Um, here now today, 10.7 million residential dwellings in Australia. Of our capital cities, um, so what we saw throughout the last decade was um, significant appetite of our property developers for building high-rise apartments. Um, certainly in uh, six of our eight capital cities, saw, saw a lot of that, and a couple of our major regional locations, including places like Newcastle and, and the Gold Coast. So five of our eight capital cities, we actually built somewhere between 45% and 72% of all their dwellings constructed in, in the last decade were apartments. A couple of our capital cities, for every 10 new dwellings built, seven of them were apartments. That's something that's, I think, that the decade we're talking about um, will be remembered for. Uh, real estate transactions. There were 4.8 million um, residential properties that changed hands in the last decade, of which 64% of them were in our capital cities. And 1 million um, first-time buyers entered the property market in the last decade. I think that's, uh, that, that's quite an achievement. So about 20% of real estate transactions in the last decade were first-time buyers. Um, that's, that's a big chunk, Simon, and, and, and a fair portion given their sort of relative uh, uh, ratio of the overall population. And I, I guess a lot of the government stimulus has brought forward that, that first-home buyer demand. What, what's your read of that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess we ended the decade with, uh, and it's still available now, the first home deposit scheme where, um, so, you know, a first home buyer with the smallest 2%, if you're a um, um, single income single parent, um, you can get, you can become a first home buyer with as small as a 2% deposit. And for everyone else, as small as a 5% deposit. Um, so you, know, you can get into the property market quicker because you don't have to take as long to save your deposit. Um, and no mortgage insurance is, is required. So, you know, my 52 years on this planet, that's the single best first home buyer initiative I, you know, I think we've ever had. That's yep. fantastic. Throughout the rest of the decade, it was predominantly the states at different times. There were some initiatives there, um, waiving stamp duty or, um, you know, a, a rebate if, you, if a first home buyer bought a new dwelling or something like that. But those policies, um, it's how they hold their mouth. They say they're supporting the first but it's really an incentive to boost up the construction sector. Um, what this graphic also shows, so the three three different coloured lines here, the blue line first is showing the number of transactions or the number of properties that were purchased in Sydney and Melbourne combined. That's the blue line. I'll talk you through these in a second. Uh, the yellow line is our other six capital cities all bundled up together. And the green line is all of regional Australia bundled up together. So let's remember that Sydney and Melbourne, nowhere else in Australia, Sydney and Melbourne had a property boom 2013 to 2017. What causes a boom is when there's more people transacting in real estate. They create competition amongst themselves. Seagulls fighting after a chip analogy, and that and that competition forces prices up. So you can see from the far left of this of this chart, the blue line trends up. That's Sydney and Melbourne's boom. But the other capital cities, the yellow line, was largely flat for that period of time. The green line trended up a little bit. Yes, there were parts of regional Australia that were performing very strong in that period of time. Focus now on, on roughly the middle of the chart on that blue line, and you see that that blue line, the number of properties that transacted, reduced. Sydney and Melbourne actually entered a significant downturn there, 2017 to 2019. But the rest of Australia didn't enter a downturn. It was nothing spectacular happening, but it wasn't like property prices were declining. 2015 through to including now, Hobart has had a spectacular run. Um, and not all, but most parts of regional Australia have performed significantly um, uh, better than a capital city. So if you look at the trend line, the green trend line uh, is trending upwards whereas the blue and the yellow trend line are trending downward. So a lot more buyer activity amongst our regions than our capital cities in the second half of the decade. And now let's look, look at what happened uh, in the last two years of COVID. That green line has gone through the absolute roof. To put some perspective around that, about 35% of Australia's total population live, in, live for our regional Australia. But in last year alone, 60% of all properties that were purchased we're in regional Australia, hence that big, big spike there. Well, I, I know you are one of the very early contrarian calls on uh, the regional opportunity uh, way back when. And, and uh, from memory, I, I think you were the very first to call Hobart uh, before it even started to happen. Yeah. So uh, you've been right on the money for uh, all of that time, Simon. Uh, and both in the middle of the decade and both at the same time, um, we started buying in Hobart in, in early 2014. And while, while we were um, sneaking under everyone's garden, chipping away, that we bought about 100 properties um, 2014 to 2016 in Hobart. But we were also very active in different parts of regional Australia um, and remain a, a lot more active throughout regional Australia today than, than our capital city markets. And for the foreseeable future, 
uh, I, I can't be strong enough in, in, in uh, predicting that the gold will be amongst the regions, not, not amongst the capitals. That's not saying that, you know, that we should be worried about the capital cities, um, but the absolute best performance will, will continue to be among our regions for a variety of reasons. Simon, mean, what's been the level of capital growth that's occurred, say, um, you know, around the country in the major centres over the yeah. time that we're looking at here? We'll just bring up this next graphic too, by the way. It was like, well, we're pulling that up. It was really a decade of two halves. Um, the first um, half of the decade was largely um, underwhelming property market performance. Um, there's always exceptions, uh, you know, to, to the norm. But Australia's economy for the first half of the decade coming out of the back of the GFC was, was, was you know, not spectacular, whereas in the second half of the decade, we certainly picked things up. This first graphic shows that. I guess more the norm for the for the first five years of the decade, if you have a look at um, Brisbane's performance there, uh, 20% increase in the median house price in that first five years, that was more, I guess, an on-par performance for, for that five-year period of time. The absolute standout um, of our capital cities was Sydney, uh, uh, Barrel was that was officially the best overall. Don Bradman country there, yep. um, but you know what also stands out in this graphic is New South Wales dominated that first five years, and again it's no coincidence the New South Wales economy was the best performed economy in that first five year period of time. Interestingly, um, Comsec, who do uh, a quarterly state of the state's economic um, report, I was I was looking back on this information the other day. Tasmania was officially ranked eighth out of eight for the, you know, a, a good chunk of this first five-year period, the worst performed state economy. It's ended the last four years ranked best of the eight economies. Yep. So if we, if we now pull up the second graphic, looking at the last five years and, uh, yep. and what's happened there, much, much bigger numbers yeah. than, that, than that first chart. The, the blue columns obviously represent um, a, bit of a, uh, a bit of a sample of what our capital city markets um, did. Hobart was the best performed capital city with 91% growth in just five years. Um, Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, Canberra, they were all sort of around that 40 to 50%. Darwin was the worst at 10%. But we've actually had six separate regional townships where the median house price doubled or better in the last five years. Spectacular growth. It's certainly a very visual confirmation of uh, your own forecasts on the strength of the regions, Simon. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the future holds in that area. Well, on that graphic there, I, know this is, I haven't had it up, but there's about a dozen different different locations. Um, Propertyology has invested in eight of those over that last five-year um, period, period of time. And, um, some, yeah, it's rate, rates of growth that are certainly a lot higher than what you would normally expect to receive as a property investor, but um, absolutely enjoyed. The, the other thing that uh, really stands out to us when we look back over the last 10 years, I spoke earlier about there was an overzealous um, uh, construction for apartments. And when we compared the, the graphics we've just been through there shows the change in median house price. So when we actually had a look at well, what are the change in median apartment value did over that period of time. So across the whole decade, Sydney, for example, the median house price increased by 140%, huge number across a decade. The apartment value increased by 77%. Now, 77% is huge growth, don't get me wrong, but it's half the rate of houses. Um, Brisbane's median house price, most of the growth has been in the last two years. Across the decade, it grew by 80%. Apartments have only increased by 25%. Adelaide apartments only increased by 25%. 
houses have increased by about 60%. Melbourne, roughly house, house prices have doubled over the last decade. Apartment values have only increased by 50%. There's only one capital city where apartment values relative to their house price was exceptionally well, and that's because they don't allow high-rise construction, and that's the city of Hobart. So Hobart's median house price increased by 133% across the last 10 years, and apartments by 120%. So Hobart's apartment value did better than all the house values in seven out of eight capital cities because they don't allow the high-rise construction stuff. Just great confirmation of the uh, supply-demand equation again, uh, Simon, it's uh, you know in all the areas where we've seen the oversupply of apartments, it's it's had that result. So, uh, but the, it's interesting that uh, uh, you know government deferring uh, new supply of any housing to the private sector, we've still got this massive uh, overall undersupply, particularly in the housing area, which is clearly putting added pressure on the rental squeeze. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let, let's have a look at um, you know what impact this has had on property values. Um, if we can just maybe bring up the next slide. Yeah, so what, what I've got here is um, you know looking at how we ended the decade and what, what are our most expensive um, parts of Australia to live in. What's the what's the biggest median house price across all of Australia? Twenty four out of our twenty eight uh, most expensive parts of Australia from a median house price perspective are among our regions. There are 24 regions there where the median house price is higher than four of our capital cities. I mean, mm. I could talk to the cows come home about the myths associated with capital cities versus regions. It's always been a load of bullshit, excuse the, excuse the French, but um, when you look back over the decade, you see a lot of the, well, the crap commentary that was made and, and then, you know, backed up, well, here's the evidence that, um, to show how much uh, rubbish gets, gets uh, reported about capital city versus, versus region. Indeed. Well, we're going to take another quick break and we come back. I want to talk to you about rents and um, how they stack up because that's one of the key indicators for us as well. Stay with us. Simon Presley from Propertyology is our guest and we're looking back over the last decade. We'll take a look ahead as well. Simon Presley is joining Bushy Martin and I. This is Real Estate Talk. Stay with us. Back in a minute. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. Know How has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, our special guest is Simon Presley from Propertyology. Bushy Martin and I are talking to Simon about uh, what he's noticed and some wonderful information here too, Simon. Thanks for this. Let's bring up our next graphic about the annual change in asking rents. And this is based on three-bedroom houses. Yes, it is. So across the, um, I'll, I'll talk uh, about that graphic in a second while people are looking at it, but uh, across the decade, um, median asking rents in Sydney increased by just 10% in 10 years. So uh, not much growth at all. Melbourne's uh, not much more, 20% across the decade. Um, the median asking rent today in Perth is less than, um, is 10% less than the start of the decade. Hobart's had the biggest increase in asking rents, up 57%. 
uh, across the decade. Um, so a bit of a sample of what's happened in different parts of regional Australia. Bendigo, a 40% increase in, in rents. Sunshine Coast, up 52%. Same as Dubbo, up 52%. Ballina and the Northern Rivers of New South Wales, up 67% over the decade. Launceston, 69% higher rents now compared to 10 years ago. Wangaratta, most people wouldn't know where that is on the map. Um, rents are 73% higher today than at the start of the uh, of, of the decade. Um, most of the increase in rents has happened in the second half of the decade, which is that graphic you've got up there showing the ch When I say asking rent, so something's advertised now, um, we see right across Australia that there's been large increases. Um, this is looking at the annual cost to rent. Large increases um, over, over the last five-year period of time. So um, to rent a three-bedroom house, for example, in Cairns now, you'll pay five dollars $5,700 more rent this year than what you would have five years ago. Um, some other big ones there, Port Macquarie, $8,000 more to rent a dwelling there now. So on the west, um, you're very up and down always is in places like Port Helen and Caratha because it's a one industry economy. But if you look at a place like Bustleton in the southwest of Western Australia, uh, it's nearly $7,000 more per year to rent that house now than the same uh, than, than five years ago. Right throughout regional Australia, you can see the rents have increased a heck of a lot more than seven out of eight capital cities, the exception being Hobart. And the reason for that, the cost of rent is, is determined by how much rental supply is available. Rental supply is predominantly the actions of a property investor. If a property investor doesn't purchase a property, they're not adding a property to the rental pool. Now, largely property investors don't think regions when they think investing, they think their hometown, or if they're getting a little bit adventurous and they think of investing somewhere other than their hometown, it's usually a, a high profile capital city. So they're continually adding to the rental pool. And, and the forgotten cousins, the regional locations often don't get thought of. So they're not adding rental supply to it. And that puts a lot more upward pressure on rents. And then the, and an event called COVID comes along and people want to escape to the regions and there was already a heck of a lot of pressure on rents uh, in most parts of regional Australia in 2019. Then we get the single biggest volume of movement in human history. That's what COVID did. Um, and now we've got uh, rents just going through the absolute roof. We haven't invested enough is, is the moral of the story there. Yeah, very foreboding warning signs for what's about to happen in the future, which we'll we'll talk to you about shortly. But uh, just to sort of round out the picture then uh, around the last decade, uh, what's changed as you've seen it in relation to uh, the quality and quantity of real estate information over that time? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I, I love this question when you sent it through to me, Bushy, forcing me to think back. Um, at the start of this decade, I think printed newspapers were still pretty pretty popular. Uh, I, I used to still get a lot of um, flyers from real estate agents in my letterbox. That was a common form of communication. That's been replaced a lot by a plethora of online stories that we've all become used to. Um, I remember at the start of this decade, I was, I was frequently on mainstream real estate TV shows, um, whether it's Sky News or Channel 9 or Channel 10. They all got axed progressively over the decade and have been replaced by, you know, you led the way um, with that, with digital TV and podcast, you led the way at the start of the decade. I don't think I'd heard of podcasts. Um, you know, if it wasn't for yourself, I wouldn't have heard of podcasts. Um, you know, now it's a, a common and very popular means of, uh, of communicating. Yep. Um, there's a lot more opinions now. I think that's just the digital world that we live in. 
um, everyone's got, got their own platform, their own Facebook page or their own Twitter account. So everyone's got an opinion uh, and therefore everyone thinks that they're an expert. There's more information available about real estate now, a lot more reports, a lot more data. But what we don't have more of, unfortunately, is more wisdom. Because we've got more opinions, people think they've got knowledge because they've got a voice. But I'd actually argue it's, uh, it's diluted intelligence, not, not enhanced it. That yeah. There is more information available, but we're not consuming. We're consuming more poor quality information. That's been the problem. And where are we going to go over the next decade, do you think? What's your view on that? For information? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, data's the new oil, isn't it? Um, you know, I'd I, I love to think that there'd be, um, you know, clever cookies out there working at all different metrics, different things we could measure. Um, personally, one of the things I would love to see, Kevin, would be um, uh, the frequency of data, especially property-specific data, the core logic stuff of the world. Um, there's a four-month lag on that. You know, in this day and age, I still don't understand how it can take so long um, for, the, for that number, those numbers to be published. Um, so yeah, um, but the technology's there. It's just a matter of how how quickly can the human brain, you know, be creative and innovative, uh, and, and come up with uh, new things. But the digital way of delivering messages, um, you know, that's that's not going away. Yeah, Brian. Well, while we're on the the subject of the future, if we we we're, we're looking through the the front windscreen now, I'd love to get your thoughts on what's likely to change. Uh, in both the way we live, but also its impact on property in the, the decade ahead. Uh, well, I think um, we're going to we're going to see forever and a day that uh, that property uh, will remain the world's safest asset class. It is shelter at the end of the day. It's an essential commodity. Um, you know, three out of 10, 10 dwellings of you know every year for the last sixty years, uh, three out of ten dwellings have been rented. I don't think um, I don't think that that's going to change um, whatsoever. I think we're going to, um, particularly since COVID, we've all responded differently to COVID, but the way we live, there's definitely been some structural changes um, that I've uh, enjoyed observing them, them unfold over the last couple of years. We put greater appreciation for, for much of the last decade. There was an insatiable appetite to be living uh, with things at your front door. You know, the high-rise apartment that we were talking about earlier so that we can just literally walk downstairs and go to a restaurant and go to a cafe or walk to work or something like that. Um, the impact of COVID, um, we're now embracing technology. We want space more than that living in that confined space, the high-rise apartment. We want space. We don't just want houses. We want, we want acreages. We want big backyards. We want um, fancy swimming pools. We want to create our own oasis. Um, We've we got Netflix. We've got... Um, online shopping, we've got Uber Eats. We, we now just pick up the phone or grab the internet and things are delivered to our door now. And that's that's been the biggest change that I've observed since COVID. That's the new norm. You know, there, there'll be a change somewhere down the track, um, but for the next decade, as far as I can anticipate now, that will be the single biggest change. Home is our oasis, um, is what I'm calling it, the lifestyle movement. Yeah, the, you've touched on rents before, and that, that situation is only getting worse. What, what's your view of uh, the future in that regard, and, and what needs to be done about it? Uh, what needs to be done about it, I guess, um, I don't have any confidence this will happen, unfortunately, because the people in the high places, their uh, their actions haven't been suggesting that they've been listening. But we need to think about what actually caused. It is a rental crisis. Um, I, I love Australia. I'm proud to call myself Australian. But one thing, I'm horrified 
is that in a country of 25.7 million people, one of the richest countries in the world, and we've got good people with good character, good rental histories, stable incomes, um, good financial discipline, and they are living in tents, they're living in caravans. Now, that, that story is not an exaggeration. That is widespread. That is happening all over in Australia, and it's happening a lot more outside of our capital cities than, than inside it. What caused it is people don't like talking about this, but if you want to know the truth, it's politics is what caused it, federal, state, and local. Yep. Rental supply is the action of a property investor. Investing is a discretionary action. You do not have to do it. To do so requires financial discipline and a preparedness to take risk in investing in your own financial future. When someone walks around with big baseball bats going whack, 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 that discretionary action, you get less participation. So whether it's a tax policy, whether it's a let's change a rental policy, let's take um, a privilege away from the asset owner and put it in the hands of the person who's renting, all these things, let's make it harder for that investor to get credit, all these things have happened over that decade. We looked at it in some of those graphics earlier. So there's been a significant reduction in the amount of investor participation throughout the last 10 years. Investor participation is where rental supply comes from. 85% of every rented dwelling in this country is owned by an everyday Aussie property investor, not, not a government. But the government decisions, federal, state, local, have diminished it. So until they you know, actually put their hand up and say, we made a few decisions that we regret, we recognise that we are, we've caused this problem, um, investors don't need red carpets. They don't need handouts. They don't need cash thrown at them. What they just need is clean air. And even given clean air, this mess will take years to recover, years. My fear is what happens in the interim? That family living in a caravan or a tent, what happens? There's nowhere to live. The person who currently does have a, a detached house, but their rent's gone up by 200 bucks a week over the last two years. What happens when that lease expires and the landlord goes, well, Sunny Jim, it hasn't always been roses for me, but now what it is, I'm going to make hay with the sun shining. Um, you, you know, the rent's going up by 50 bucks a week. You can't deprive the investor who's taken the risk of doing that. And if you do, that investor will sell. So the problem gets worse, right? So if you don't pass that legislation, which you shouldn't, um, then the rent goes up. So that person, I can't afford that now. So now we've got someone else living in the caravan. Well, the other thing that I think is going to tip petrol on that whole exercise as well, Simon, is uh, the fact that, you know, we've pretty much closed the borders and locked the place up for the last couple of years. We're now starting to open them. And there's going to be potentially a big influx of people given how attractive Australia has become relative to the rest of the world. What what impact is that going to have? Uh, enormous. And look, we do need to, um, now, now that it's safe to open up the international border, we absolutely need to encourage overseas migration. As we're having this discussion, Bussy, we have 430,000 jobs advertised in this country that we cannot fill today. 430,000 jobs. It doesn't matter what industry you work. It doesn't matter what town or city you have a business in. You have a job or more, one, one or more jobs advertised now and no one living locally to fill it. Now, that's a good thing um, in one respect because we've got a really strong economy. The, the full house sign is up for our, our economy, which is great for property markets. It'll be great in the not too distant future for wages. Finally, we'll get some, some wage growth because we've got lots of jobs and no um, labour supply to fill it. But so we open up the international border and we invite in all this skilled labour to fill these jobs. Again, great for the economy. But where do they bloody live? 
The 25.7 million people who are here now, they're living in tents and caravans. I'm not exaggerating. Now, pre-COVID, we, we used to add about 200,000 people per year from overseas migration. What, what do we do if we just add six months of that? 100,000 extra people. Where, where are they going? I'm serious. Where are they going to live? Yeah. Rents, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. I, I fear that we may end up uh, seeing a side of a country that we've never seen, other, other countries around the world we've seen before, civil unrest. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, there's, uh, despite that picture, I'm hearing a, a wealth of opportunity for property investors moving forward. Uh, what's your take on what the opportunity will be? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of commentary recently because we've had our first RBA increase in 11 years about, oh, property prices all doom and gloom. Yeah, it's the same commentary we've had when the international border closed. Oh, yeah, no population growth. Property prices are going to crash. And yet, you know, the, the two following years were the biggest boom, second biggest boom in our history. Um, so we're, what we've gone with uh, interest, it, it's, it's inevitable. We'll have more interest rate rises, right? So instead of going, uh, we're going to have dirt cheap interest rates going to a, a fifteenth more than dirt cheap, but they're still going to be dirt cheap, right? Um, yeah. But we've got an economy that's at full house. We've got infrastructure boom. That's the greatest thing this country's ever produced. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no job vacancies anywhere. We've got an all time officially an all time record low supply of properties for sale and for rent. These are incredibly strong, an incredibly strong underbelly for property markets. Yep, incredibly strong. Um, all the RBA rate cuts will do is think of it as the accelerator. So the things I was talking about earlier, the foundation or the motor that drives the property market, the things on the supply side, the things on the economy side, we've got a really, really strong motor. The RBA is the, is the accelerator pedal, right? So that accelerator pedal um, until last month or early this month has been bang on the floor. We're going fast, right? And progressively, the RBA is is lifting, you know, not putting as much pressure on that accelerator pedal. So um, it's it will control the rate of growth, but we will still have, perhaps with the exception of Sydney, Melbourne, we will still have growth. And in large parts of Australia, I'm very confident um, we will see deep double-digit growth. Wow, incredible! Um, you know what a session, Simon. We're we're out of time, mate. Unfortunately, we're going to have to go, but. Um... Thank you so much for your time, Simon, and thank you also for your support over the last decade. Lots more to come, I hope. My pleasure, gents. Um, I want to thank you all uh, and congratulate you all. You know, 10 years is a fantastic achievement. 500 shows. And, uh, you know, I've got a great appreciation for the amount of work. It's not just the time that you're on air, but all the work you. you do behind uh, behind air, um, you know, organising um, uh, speakers and that sort of stuff. I've enjoyed being part of it and uh, want to wish you well for um, the future um, success of this great program. Thank you, mate. We're going to have you on long before we do our thousandth. <laughs> Good man. Good on you, Simon. Thank you. Um, stay with us. We'll come back in just a moment. Bushy and I will give you a rundown on um, some of our takeaways from what Simon has given us uh, in this show. Stay with us. This is Real Estate Talk. No, it's not. It's Realty Talk. I'm so used to saying that. <laughs> this is Realty Talk. We'll be back again in just a moment. 
Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation fined residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300-728-726 today for an obligation-free quote. Well, that's it. Um, another show. Wow, Bushy, there's just so much information that comes from Simon and those slides are just um, they're brilliant. They demonstrate the point so well. Was there anything in there that jumped out for you? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, while the reflection on the last 10 years has been great in terms of reinforcing the, the sort of timeless lessons we know, uh, what really pricked up my ears was the, uh, the fact that we're coming into a situation where we've already got a massive undersupply yeah. of properties, which is you know causing the massive rental squeeze, squeeze, and to use Simon's words, the rental crisis that we're currently enduring. And then we're about to pour hundreds of thousands of more migrants into the mix. So uh, I think we're actually coming into a zone where uh, there's gonna be uh, awesome opportunity for property investors who can seize on that and select and find properties in areas that are going to uh, uh, attract that sort of demand. Yeah, land supply is going to be fairly important too because this is not going to come from, you know, existing, there, there will be some um, growth in existing areas, but largely it's going to come from new development areas, doesn't it? Which, which brings about a whole lot uh, more infrastructure, you know, more transport needs and so on. Yeah, totally agree. I think the other thing that uh, really stuck in my mind as well, Kevin, is the fact that, you know, I've heard a, a number of commentators in recent times talk about the fact that the the regional shift is only a sort of a temporary exercise yeah. and people are going to flood back to the CBDs. Yeah, well, um, Mar Margaret uh, Lomas made that point last week, didn't she? She did. Well, the evidence that Simon's just shown us would be contrary to that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I, I know firsthand, I, I'm a person who has been chasing the region's for a while because of all the lifestyle benefits and as long as the infrastructure is there and the and the coffee shop's only five minutes away mm. then uh, I, I much prefer that sort of a living environment than being sardined into a, a suburb close to the city so uh, you know from my own perspective I, I sort of have an affinity with what Simon's saying but I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, who who will be the ultimate winners and losers in relation to capitals versus regions and which regions are actually going to continue the growth in the in the years ahead. Mm. Certainly an interesting insight. I encourage you to go back and have a, another look at the show because there's so much information that came from Simon. Hey, Bushy, that's it for me, mate. Yeah. Over to you next week. So um, it's I've really enjoyed these, uh, you know, few weeks we've been together. Likewise, and, mate. And uh, particularly enjoying watching you embrace the show. So... You know, I encourage you to, you know, put your own stamp on it. This is your baby. So um, well, you've I'm, been really, a, I'm really enjoying that, uh, watching that journey, mate. Likewise, mate. And I, and I, I love having you on the show, mate. So uh, I, I think uh, I would like to, to hope that we can continue to yeah. do this sort of work together. And, and I guess before we go, I'd like to make a, another big shout out to our sponsors, realty.com.au, as well as BMT Tax Depreciation yeah. for their ongoing yeah. support, mate. Yeah, we should, talking about BMT, um, you know, Brad Beer's been with us now since day one. Uh, we should make a special effort to get him on too. Um, 
yeah, real, real soon. I know he's a regular guest, but it would be nice to just have a chat and learn a little bit more about Brad Beer, the man. Totally. No, we'll, we'll make sure we do that, Kevin. Yeah, good stuff. All right, my friend, thank you. And um, you, you can do the sign-off. Yeah, well, look, uh, we, just before we do sign off, again, we'd like to uh, thank everyone who, and, and yourself who have been a meaningful part of the show and continue to support us and give us your time to learn what's happening in the industry and where it's going. So keep watching because we're going to continue to be your go-to place for all things property here on Realty Talk. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 